Episode 99 of the Brooklyn Blast Furnace Podcast. 99. 99. It's fucking crazy that I... That 99 times, well, actually, like, 115 times, I sat here and... Well, not here, but, you know... No, not, not at Miller's Ale House. Right, in Rigo Park, which I've been actually <laughs> to this location several times. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, my boy Vinny and my daughter gets along with his kids, and, yeah, I know the kid for forever, so I've been nice. here a few times. Yeah, so once you were like, yeah, this place called Miller's Ale House, I was like, all right, I know exactly yeah, where Yeah, you take is. some meetings here. It's, it's nice, it's spacious, and, you know... Yeah, and I got to say that the, the dude hooked us up, because it's quiet. Yeah, that's romantic, Relative. candlelit it's, uh, yes, area, yeah. sitting here with DJ Eclipse, being... <laughs> All romantic, yeah, <laughs> yeah, talking shit. Uh, nice. What's going on, man? Everything's good. Everything's good. You just you came know. from uh, DJ Premier show. Me and Ill Bill um, went up there to promote Ill Bill and Stu Banger's Cannibal Hulk album. So we had which up, is you know, ridiculous. Yeah, it's a good album. Yeah, so it's real good. good. It's up there on Premier show and uh, Shade Forty Five, Sirius XM, and now we're straight from there to here. Yeah, I appreciate your time, yeah. man. I know I just got off of work too. I work in Bay Ridge, so I was like, you know what? Yeah, sometimes, it's, sometimes it's hard to link. Right. You know, everyone's busy. Yeah. I don't know if you have a family. I have a family. Two I have kids. Yeah. 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 So same yeah. here. So I get it. Yeah. But totally. um, but I'm glad that you took time out to sit here and bullshit with me for a little sure. while. I asked. I asked Bill. I was like, Oh, is this, is this guy official? He's like, Yeah, he's a good guy. I'm like, All right. Ah, oh, shout I'll out do, to Ill Billy Idol. I'll do his. I'll do his podcast. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the heads up, Bill. Good looking, my man. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. Yeah. yeah, it was fun to do it with him because it was funny because, like, it took not the winter that just passed, the winter before uh-huh. I was supposed to do it with Bill on two different occasions. Right. But now I work for the Board of Education. So, okay. so each time that we scheduled it, right. there was a blizzard. Yeah. So I had to stop everything and go to work. Right. It happened right. twice. Wow. So then all the, you know, then he started doing, I guess, his records and he was busy, then I'm busy, yeah, and then the summer, yeah, and then yeah, there's yeah. holidays, and the, sure. so next thing you know, it's a year later when we later. finally did it. But it worked out perfect because... It did for the time of the album. It was, yeah, it was the, we did it, it was the day before the album came out, or the day after the album came out, one uh, or the other. But yeah, it worked out perfect. Nice. Yeah, awesome. so I remember Bill from way back in the day in Canarsie and stuff like that for right. a while. Right, right. But, uh, yeah, man, so I was like, you know what? I gotta get a clip. So I met you briefly in Philly when Coconosha played okay. at the Voltage Lounge. Okay. And I met you briefly there. I All was right. backstage. I actually did one of these with, with Danny Boy back there. Oh, okay. One of the smaller mini ones. I remember that. Yeah, you guys went... Back past the backstage area, like yeah. in that dark kind of. I didn't know where yeah, Danny yeah. was bringing. It was me and my girl Nikki. Yeah, and Danny was just that. like, "Yeah, come on back." All and right. then we're going way back, and he's like, "Pull up a yeah. chair." I'm like, "This is weird, but that's cool." It's like pipes banging yeah, in the background. That yeah, spot. that was a great yeah. night, man. That was good shit. Right, right. Yeah, but I met you briefly that night. Yeah, 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 for sure. But uh, so I was like, "Yeah, man, let's see if you're down to do this." So once again, I'm glad that you uh, made the time to do no, this. No, I'm well. glad you asked me to come. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, you know, it's 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 like-minded stuff. I'm in radio. I, 
I get, you know, what right. I'm trying to do. So you know, right. I, want, I want. I don't even know what I'm trying to do. Well, it, it, I like to talk to people who I'm interested. In, like, if I if if you're a musician, like I like what you do. I like your groups. Or I, you know, right. or I respect what you do. Or if it's somebody, it's not a musician. It's somebody I find interesting. Sure, sure, sure. You know what I mean? And I've said it a few times on the podcast. Like, there's a lot of people that be like, oh, you know, can I do it like via Skype or on the phone? I don't want to do that phone nah, stuff. Me either. I don't, I don't take live phone call interviews. It's going to be there in person. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's it's more, you know, I could, you know, we're, we're bullshit. It's like of a course. real conversation. Of course. So, so that's how I like to do it. So where sure. you want to start, bro? You're, um, you're, I know you've probably done this before, so you kind of yeah. have like this whole, you got to push a button on your exactly. neck and it's going to come It's going to come right out. Here we <laughs> here go. It is, here it is. Um, Let's I mean, do it. You know, I, always, I always like to start at the beginnings, you know what I'm saying? So for, for me, myself. Uh, Are you a bot like that? Because I am. I am. I am. Yeah, I have so to much. be like chronological. I'm very much so. I All always right. have to, you know. It's a, and I think it's a it's a DJ thing too because when you mix, you know, you usually start with slower tempos and work your way up to faster tempos. So okay. it's kind of like it's a, there's always an order in everything I'm doing. Right. So I get chronological it. makes sense for telling a story. Yeah. Um, Same here. It's, yeah. it's logical and exactly. Some always people logical. Think, yeah. Some people think it's a little bit crazy, but I don't think it's crazy. It makes sense to me. It's, yeah. I, I have to have my life has to have some kind of order. Exactly. Um, <laughs> in some form. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's funny too. You mentioned you know Rigo Park earlier. I've actually I'm, I'm not from New York. I'm from Rhode Island. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get to the whole breakdown of my travels, but I've been in Regal Park now for, I don't know, like 22, 22 years, 23 years. Oh, really? Yeah, in the, in the, in the same neighborhood, same same spot. So, um, you know, this is this is this is home now. Right. But my beginnings uh, starts in Providence, Rhode Island, where hood. No. No, I mean I don't know nothing about Rhode Island. Nah, and the only just, thing I know about Rhode Island is Providence, and I've never been there. It's, it's, I mean, if you watch any you know Boston movie, it's the same thing. Gotcha. It's like you know, it's the same kind of of, of landscape, same kind of uh, uh, houses, apartments. It's all you know. Um, I grew up uh, River Avenue in Providence, Rhode Island, and. Um, Basically caught the bug, you know what I'm saying, for music. It was, you know, it was it was one of those things where prior to hip hop, um, I was just uh, a kid taping, you know, top 40 songs off the radio. You know, I'd, I'd, yeah. I just listened to um, Casey Kasem Countdown, and it's like, and, and I always found that the songs that that always stuck with me were usually always the ones that were more had more of a rhythm to them, more of a beat to them. Okay. You know, Hall Notes stuff, stuff like that. Just that was right. more funky. I'm not mad at Hall Notes. Not at all. No, you know some people like, want admit that I'm not mad nah hold on this is dope Billy Joel you know what I'm saying like <laughs> stuff like that that had just some kind of funkiness to it some kind of rhythm to it and yeah. um and so I was just I was always into music and then and then that got me into kind of like um into records and you know my mom had a record collection you know she was her thing was more of like um you know uh, Motown yeah. Bob Marley James Brown like oh, that, that's that dope. type of stuff so you know but it was that was her thing it wasn't my thing you know you know that was the era she came up in but I was sure. always hearing it in the house and so it's one of those things where subliminally you're getting uh, uh, positioned into like this is what you're gonna like you know what I'm saying sure. being played all the time in the house and so the, that that 
music and then also the the fact of seeing it. You know what I'm saying? I could go and look in, at the records in the collection and, and so I got used to seeing the vinyl and so when I was a little bit older, you know, I actually um, was I was given records from a friend of hers, one of her girlfriends that uh, had a, a collection of 45s and she just gave me a bag of records. And so I just took that bag of records and I went home to, you know, and, and went on my, my mom's system and, and put the, the 45s on and I would sit there and listen to like every record that there was in, that was in the back. It was like a crazy eclectic yeah. mix of all kinds of genres and music and just crazy stuff and like I just, I just, I would just read the labels and like listen to the, the music and flip them to the B sides, and so I just cherished that bag of records, and I think that really kind of got me into like wanting to collect records, and okay. so um, I started ordering stuff. Um, off of like the the TV guide, the Columbia House, you know, you buy the twelve House for a thing. penny kind of a thing. Yeah, did you want to beat them? I beat them. Yeah, of course. I mean, I forget. I think we moved like after. Oh I, yeah, I, you changed. Like, that. Yeah. It was easy to get over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so um, I did that. Like I, you know, I, I ordered records from them, uh, and and this was like right around the same time that I was getting into hip hop. You know, I found out um, first record I heard was Rap is a Light. Um, 1979 and I heard it at my school in a, a class party one of the kids in school brought the record to the party and put it on I remember hearing it and being like yo what is yeah, this what is this, this shit? is yeah. totally different yeah. than everything else I'm hearing um, and so I went out looking for that record and so I went down I went down to um, Strawberries Strawberries Records down in downtown Providence I bought Rapid Delight my mom took me down there I was nine years old and um Man. I uh, Mom's bought it for you? Yeah, she All bought right. it for me. You know, I, I, I pointed it out, she bought it, and then that was the beginning of my path into hip hop vinyl. And so, um, you know, I was a newbie to everything, so I mean, obviously, it was, everyone was. I mean, I was the first record, really. So, but within the, la within the next couple of years, that label, Sugar Hill, you know, was putting out a bunch of releases, as was Enjoy Records. I mean, those were probably like the first two real hip-hop labels to really kind of have a, a stable of artists that they were putting out. Okay. Um, and so, for me, it was like, it was... A, it was Finding the stations that were playing this music, and so it was. It wasn't really being played yeah, on commercial. I mean, Rapper's Delight did get played on commercial rec on commercial radio, as did the message from Grandmaster Flash sure. and the Furious Five. Yeah, those two songs were like the only ones that I would hear on commercial radio. But I found the college radio. There was um, uh, Brown University, BRU. There was Providence College at DOM. That was their, their station. And so okay. I would tune into these, uh, URI, another station. I would tune into these stations, um, and I would find out what nights they were on and the times. And, and most of the time was nighttime. I mean, I, I remember going to sleep with the radio next to my bed, and I would mm -hmm. just, like, put the, put the tape in yeah. and record. Yeah. Hi, how are you? Hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? Good. Good. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna have um, a bacon cheeseburger. Okay, how would you like the medium well, but plain, nothing on it. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and you're okay with the fries? Yeah, and fries. Okay. Yeah. And I have water to drink. Water? Yeah. Yeah. I have a, a glass of water too, and a cheeseburger. I don't want the fries or anything, just a cheeseburger, medium rare. Medium rare. A okay. little bloody. Okay. That's it. And do you want like the lettuce, tomatoes? And no, just a bun, a burger, and a slab of cheese, and I'm good. Okay, sounds good. Thanks. That's it. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, so 
found out, you know, when they were on, like I said, I'd fall asleep most of the time listening to the stations, and so I would just, you know, have tapes, and I would just, you know, tape some stuff off the radio. Um, and then I found a store called Rainbow Records, which okay. was, like, the store to go to for hip-hop vinyl and just, and just like, dance music in general. It was, like, yeah. a DJ-friendly store. Yeah. <clears throat> I was going to say, because it... It wasn't as big yet where there would be no. a whole record store with just No, it would hip-hop. be like yeah. there was a section, you know what I'm saying? Just but like yeah. but the section there was a section for hip hop, there was a section for like, you know Disco. freestyle and di- yeah, it was yeah. like it was just whatever was, you know, dance oriented kind of stuff. Gotcha. And so um I go down there and um I would look for what I would what I knew, but I would also look for what I didn't know. And so, you know, I would just kinda of look through there and this is where the beginning of digging the crate started for me because you're just looking for names, you're looking for stuff that looks cool. You're trying to like read a record and figure out is this worth buying? You know right, just by the cover art. Yeah, of yeah, course, like I've used to buy records um, like that all the time. Sometimes it would stink, and sometimes yeah, you get a gem. It was yeah. just, it was trial and error, you know. Yeah. That was that was the way to do it. And then, um, you know, I mean, I'm listening to the radio, so it's like you're guessing the names of these songs or the artists. You're kind of like you, you're just trying to remember what it is about it. And so when you go to the store. You're, you're, you know, you're not, I'm not asking the guy for help. I'm just going in. I'm looking by myself at the records. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, you know. And, and by this time now, this is like 11, 12 years old, you know, a couple, a few years later. Yeah. Um, you know, 12 years old, I had, I had uh, two paper routes that I would do. Um, and uh, that money I would take and go, down, go downtown and buy and all vinyl. So, so at 11, 12 years old, you had your own job to support your yeah, own little hobby. That's definitely. a beautiful thing, man. It's lost most nowadays. Definitely. Yeah, I took, I, I had my own uh, paper route, route whatever, and then I, and then a, a friend of mine decided he wanted to quit, and he gave me his. Oh, so I, I had two of them, so I was like, I had people working for me, the whole yeah, thing. That's funny like because years the, old. the first job I ever had, I was probably around. I want to say like 13 or 14 I got like this little part time job only to buy at the time I was into a lot of metal okay, yeah. so there was the first Anthrax record right and it was an import from England uh-huh. it was Fistful of Metal it was a picture disc vinyl right and the dude he worked me bro and it's uh, fucked up Ciro I know you yeah it's Ciro you're a scumbag <laughs> but he charged me $60 wow and this was I was 14 so this is 19 uh, 89, 88, right, right, right. for like $60 for this thing. So I got myself a little part-time job at a bagel store uh-huh. to buy it because I couldn't save well, up three it. weeks of $20 a week allowance yeah. for it. Uh-huh. And I didn't want it to leave. So I got my own job for a record, that's too. I'm sorry, I had to say that. No, of course. <laughs> that, 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 that story sparked memories. Yeah, you know absolutely. Yeah, so it was, you know, it was, it was going there. And then another thing I would do um, was uh, I would go to USA Skating Rink, and there was a DJ there, this guy named Bucket. And um, he was like, he was like the man in Providence for for hip hop stuff. He he uh, he was also a guest DJ on like he'd be on um, WDOM. He'd do like guest sets, and uh, he had a crew called the Magical Four that he spun for, and they would make demos and they would always get played on these on these college stations. No, a little local group. Local Magical group. But I didn't know they were local at the time because I'm still young and I'm listening and I'm hearing their music played next to. 
to another record. So I'm just thinking they're they're records. Right. Actually, I couldn't tell the difference. Right. And then um, when I when I when I found out about him specifically, and then. It, knew that he was local and that he was spinning at the uh, skating rink, I would go check him out. Thank you. You're welcome. And uh, when I would check him out, I would watch, I'd, I'd study what he would do. I would sit as close or stand as close to the DJ area as possible. And I would just watch what he did. I'd watch the music he played. And that was also how I found out about certain records. By I couldn't see who the artists were, but I could see the labels. So I would look at the labels, and then I would go to the record store the next day and look for that label. Oh, so there was shit. like early Def Jam records, the, the, the LL I Need a Beat. But I, I heard him play it first. Um, Dougie Fresh, uh, the original Human Beatbox, which was on Vintertainment Records. That was the first time I ever saw the label. So I just... Went to the store the next day and found both of them. Yeah. So I found the labels and it was like, that was how I, I would dig for records. It was just by looking at labels, stuff like that. Oh shit! And uh, and then through that, I ended up going to. By the time I got to to high school, um, in ninth grade, I went to a school called Classical, and it wasn't like my zone school. It was one of those schools you had to take a test to get into. And I was kind of, like, upset about that because everyone from my neighborhood was going to Mount Pleasant. Okay. And so that's where I wanted to go. And my mom was like, nah, take the test, try to get into a better school. And so I did, and I got in, but I was miserable. Uh-huh. So I went to classical, and uh, the only good thing about going to classical was the Magical Four was going to classical. Ah, so shit. I ended up running into um, uh, Al Shell. And um, his brother, Mr. G, who were, were, you know, were two of the members of the crew. And there was another guy named uh, Xavier who was also a member. And it was funny because me and him were in the same class for like a day. And then he transferred schools. Oh, shit. But me, I'm still like, you know, they don't have no idea who I am. I'm nobody at that point. Yeah. But I'm, 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 I'm just a sponge absorbing. Yeah. How atmosphere. old are you at this point? Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, man. I mean, ninth grade was, I don't know. I mean, 14, 14, 14 yeah. yeah something like that you know what I'm saying so um, yeah thir- 13 actually 13, 14, no 14 14 yeah 14 alright so I was 14 and so um, I, uh, I'm just watching what they do and all stuff and like you know just the the, 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 the crews the, the breaking crews and there was Furious Rockers there was Top Masters crews so I'm just you know absorbing everything I'm taking everything in and then I don't even remember exactly how I met Angelo, but Angelo was Al and Gene's cousin, Angelo Shell. Right. And we connected, and then he was starting to rhyme, and he had a dude named Ricky Rick that was also rhyming. And so I just started hanging out with them. And so it would be the three of us, Rick, Angelo, and me. And we started our own crew called Top Three. Okay. And I, I don't even, honestly, they were the MCs. I wasn't, I was just like the dude that carried the box. You know what I'm saying? Like I, wasn't, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't, it was pre-DJing. I was, I was buying some records, but I still didn't have any equipment. I would just play the records on my mom's system. Right. So I was just the music guy. And so, um, yeah, we had, we started a crew called Top Three. And then shortly after all this, within the next year is when my family moved from Rhode Island. All right. And so, um, that last year, though, once the crew started, uh, I decided that DJing was what I wanted to do. 
and so I took my love for the music and for the, and for collecting vinyl, and then I, I, I took it serious. And so I took the money um, that I had been using to buy records, and then started saving some to buy equipment. Mm-hmm. And so piece by piece, I started getting some stuff. And my birthday's in January, so what I would do was I take my work money, Christmas money, birthday money, and put all that towards buying stuff. Oh, so by shit. the time uh, by the time January of '85 came around. I had two turntables, um, a mixer, and uh, a tape deck, a receiver, some speakers. I had, like, a whole setup. But I I bought it piece by piece within six months prior to that. Nice. And then, uh, so by the time I, uh, we, we moved from Rhode Island, October of 85, we moved to Columbia, South Carolina. Now that Oof. was a big change. <laughs> yeah, a man. A big change. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like. I lived in North Carolina for a little while. Yeah. And it was, oof. Yeah. Crazy. It's, it's, it's night and day. Yeah. And this is also, I mean, think about the time frame. I mean, you know, 1985, I mean, it was still um, very much. The South, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, so, um, you know, I'm used to, uh, I'm coming from neighborhoods and schools that were multi-ethnic into yep. now getting into an environment where you have black on one side and white on the other. Yeah. Nothing in between. Right. This you know, segregated there's no, there's down no there There's no Asian, still. there's yep. no Spanish, there's no Jewish, there was no, it was white and black, and that yep. was it. And so, <clears throat> I went down there, and um, I, tr- I finished my junior year of high school down there um and so I was in a predominantly black school probably one of like ten white kids if that in the school and coming from up north I stood out like a sore thumb because the typical white kid down there was I don't know just like doing whatever they listened to and whatever they did down there but like me I came down here I had like on you know Puma sweatsuits and like Uh, I had my name belt buckle my name you know (laughs) hanging down the side of my leg so that was regular culture for me coming from up north so they're looking at you like a Martian your pinstripe lead jeans and shit I had my my two tones tones, my two tones jeans everything of course all that stuff so (laughs) so I'm down there and um, you know, and they're like looking at me like, "Who are you?" And I'm like, yeah. you know, and so, so <laughs> that funny. actually, it was, it ended up working to my advantage because it helped me propel as to who this kid is. You right. Know what I'm saying? So, um, I was already DJing, and so that. You know, that made me get my name out. You know, it's like, oh, you heard of that guy, Eclipse. You heard Eclipse, 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 Eclipse. So my name started getting around. And Where did that name come from? It Where came you- from um, when when I was first got into hip-hop. Uh, I was trying to come up with... Um, Actually, I wasn't trying to come up with a name. I was trying. To, I was trying to do everything. Usually, when people first get into hip hop, they, they they try everything. I tried to try to write rhymes. Um, I you know I was a, I, I used to break. Um, obviously, I, DJing was what I, I, I fell into, and I also used to try to do some graffiti. Right. So the three elements. The, well, four. Well, DJ four. With, well, well, with, with, with the three rap. other elements aside from DJing. Elements. Yes. So, but you know, you try all of it, and then DJing is what I love. But then. 
when I was doing trying to do some graph, I was just trying to think of words that I could write that would look dope. And right. so I, you know, 3D. I, I wrote 3D, made it pop off the paper. You know, right. it's like, and I was like, what else can I write? What else can I write? I, I, I put out pulling out the dictionary and like looking for words that would be cool. And so yeah. I came across Eclipse, and I was like, Eclipse. I was like, I could make it two tone, half black, half white, and like, you know, that would be, that'd be cool yeah. to write. And gotcha. So I, I wrote it. And so aesthetically on paper, you yeah. Liked so it. look, so yeah, you know, so I sucked as a graph writer, so I knew that wasn't my calling. <laughs> yeah. But the word eclipse just stuck with me. All I right. just liked the way it sounded. It was right. different than anything. It was different than you know. No one else had it. It was yeah. something you know. So mm-hmm. that's just stuck, and so I became DJ Eclipse. All right. Um, and uh, you know, so down south, just just making the rounds of. Thank you. Thanks, man. Uh, actually, hold on. A little swap. But yeah, making the rounds. Um, you know, once I was in school, it was like people started coming to me for for info. You know what I'm saying? Like, they knew, like, you know, I was the dude that had the music. Right. And coming from up north, I had my hands on music that they weren't as exposed to yet. I mean, I remember, you know, I started hustling in high school with, with, with mix tapes. You know, I, I, um, I would... I would go to the record store. I found out what the local record store was. There was two. There was Manifest and there was Sounds Familiar. Okay. I'd go to them and I would buy whatever was the new stuff and then, you know, I would make my own tapes. But what I started doing was I started printing out a list of all the music I'd, I'd buy week to week and then I would charge people to make them a tape. So I'd, I'd have a list of the records. I'd tell them, you know, it'd be like two bucks. If you gave me a tape, five bucks. If you needed me to, to, to supply a tape, yeah. And I would just give them the pass the forms out in school, and so people would, would give me the forms back. They check the boxes of what they want on the tape. The name, write their name down, their phone number. Hustling, bro, it's brilliant. And so uh, I would do I would do tapes, and I would make tapes of people. And half the time, people would just kind of like they were just pop lucking what they were picking because they weren't familiar with a lot of the music, a lot of the artists. I remember one, one tape I made for this guy, and he came back the next day to school. He was like, "Yo, that dude, L." That was talking about his box. He was like, "Yo, that was incredible!" And it's like, and so that was like talking about his box. That was for me was like That's it funny. was it was it was the love of DJing, but it was more so the love of putting people up on new music. And that's to this day is what what keeps me going. It's like I love exposing new music to people. That's dope. Yeah, you know. So so I did that. Um, as I made more tapes, names started getting out more, and then the parties started coming. You know, I started doing a lot of like um, school parties. I started playing at teen events. There was a spot called Classics. Um, I DJ that, and then you would you would you would promote these parties like you would. No, there was, was stuff that people were hiring me to do. Like, okay, you know, venues they hired me to do, and then. Um, and then I started, my name started kind of getting out of the school zone and kind of getting more citywide. And also the older generation were, were catching wind of me. And so I was getting hit up to, to do guest spots at venues that were like 23, there were adult clubs, 23 and over. Gotcha. And I was still, at that time, 17, you know, like. Okay. Um, 17 going on, you know, between 17 and 18. And so um, I was, you know, doing guest spots at some of these venues, and um, 
and then just over the course of the next several years, I mean, I just kind of conquered all of the events that, you know, all the venues that were open. I, I spun at all of them at one point or another. I had my own weekly gigs there, or I would just do guest nights. Um, I was doing a lot of uh, the college parties, fraternity parties. I was doing at, at the Russell House for USC. Um, you know, it was just... And then I also, you know, I had, I had my friends that once I moved down there, you know, when you're when you're new in the neighborhood, you have to find like-minded people. So I found other people that were into the same thing I was. Yep, you um, have to man, find your tribe. Exactly. I found my, my, my man Maestro Ness, or my man Shy Biz. So you know, Ski Rock. We all connected, and we all worked on music together. Maestro was a DJ, so me and him would like we practice together. You know, we do parties together. If I wasn't doing the Russell House, he was doing the Russell House. It was like we always kind of like we're, we, if people wanted that sound, they came to us. So they okay. wanted like the realness. Um, you know, we we would play not just hip hop stuff, but we play you know reggae. We play house. We play um, go go. Okay. We made it a point to play more like up north sounding stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> Whereas a lot of the stuff that was down south was was predominantly Miami bass influenced. Okay. So that was the, the, the music that most people wanted to hear. Yeah. But when we did the college events, a lot of the people that were going to college were transplants from up north anyway. Gotcha. So they wanted to hear what we had. Yeah. yeah. But for the most part, yeah, you're putting you're putting those people up down there up on new shit. Yeah. Especially mm-hmm. with that Miami influence. Yeah, mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. That's and, dope. And, that, and they influenced me. About Miami stuff because I wouldn't have known any of that, you know. So I ended up right. getting into all the Miami stuff from from being down south. So I did that for a while. Um, me and Maestro, you know, always working on music. We actually have found an artist together that we were working with, named Zigzag. We um we worked on his, on his demos. I did a few. Maestro did a few. And then, as more and more time went on, Maestro started kind of fine-tuning more of the production on the album. Right. And around the same time, I met uh, MC Search from Third Base. Gotcha. Uh, there was... Enter MC Search. Enter MC Search. Yeah, he, he was on a promo tour <clears throat> for his album, Here It Comes. He was going around to record stores... And at the time, I was working at Sounds Familiar, which is one of the record stores I used to shop at. Right. Got a job there. And so he came through, and we just started, you know, talking it up. And um, the dude that produced half of that album, Here It Comes, uh, Return of the Product, was um, T-Ray. T-Ray was from down south. Me and T-Ray met over the, the seven years that I lived in Columbia, South Carolina. Me and T-Ray met. We started working together. <clears throat> T-Ray moved to New York, and he started doing production for people. Search was one of them. You know, he did it for a bunch of other people as well. But that connection was was kind of the, the the conduit to me talking to Search because I had a common thing. It's, you know, I was like, "Yo, you know my man T-Ray." He's like, "Oh yeah, Todd just did half my album." I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "You know, me and him used to work on music." Blah blah blah. So then Search was like, "Let me hear the stuff you're working on." So I started playing him beats I did, and he loved them. Yeah. And so he was like, yo, he's like, I want you to do some stuff for me. He's like, uh, why don't you come to North to Charlotte tonight? I'm doing a gig there. Okay. Just hang out and talk more. 
Nice. So I did. Charlotte's like an hour away from Columbia. All right. I drove up, hung out, and um, we, we clicked, you know, and then like he left, continued with his tour, and then gave me a call, you know, whatever, however long it was after that, and it was like, yo, why don't you come to New York? I want you to, um, to DJ for me. I have another DJ named Riz that I want to use as well. Who you two. work with now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I want two DJs. All right, cool. Nice. So I uh, took some trips to New York and crashed at his house, and um, that's how it all started. You know, I was, I was producing and DJing for Search, and, and, and Riz was DJing for Search as well, and that was the first time I met Riz. So through Search, Search was my gateway to New York City. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. you know, I met Riz right away through Search. Through Riz, um, I became cool with Stretch and Bobito because Riz was, fr- was friends with them, you know, with Stretch. <clears throat> yeah. And Search knew everyone as well. So between those, you know, Search and Riz, I was, like, introduced to a lot of people and just kind of, like, getting, you know, my, my feet wet in New York. And so for a while, I would go back and forth between Columbia and New York, crashing at Search's place. And then and even, like, in the end, I still kept my residence in, in Columbia, but I basically was living at Search's house. Okay. Then finally, I was like, all right, it's, it's enough going on now for me to leave South Carolina. Yeah. It was like 92, I think it was. Okay. Packed up. And, and, and it was a wrap. And, and you came up, up to came New, up York. New York. Mm-hmm. No shit. So I didn't. I didn't realize that search. Well, how would I know that search was the reason? Basically, mm-hmm. how what got you up north? Yep. Um, That's pretty dope, man. Yeah. And then, and then, I mean, when did you wind up, or how did you wind up linking up and meeting the dudes that, from from nonfiction like Bill or Gore-Tex or who'd you meet first out of them? Um, Sabak. Sabak. When? Okay. The OC. And he knew him. Okay. What happened was, while me and Riz were DJing for Search, you know, Search was touring, doing shows. We did a show in Brooklyn. I do not remember where it was because okay. keep in mind, this is still when I'm just fairly new to New York. Yeah. So everything's a blur to me. That was in my first year here. So we did a, we did a spot in New York, <clears throat> and there was an act that was on before us, and uh, I actually know the kid. To this day, the kid um, M Tri was on before us. I didn't know him then, but he had his hype man, who was Sabak. Gotcha. And Sabak was on stage, and I always make fun of Sabak because of this, because he was like jumping around on like Flavor Flav all over the stage, and like, you, know, he was, <laughs> you know, he was going crazy. And um, Search really liked his his uh, presence on stage. Yeah. So. Search was like, you know, went up to him like, yo, I like you, you know, like, and why don't you come hang out at the studio? So he came out to the studio, some of our sessions, we were recording the next Search album that I was producing, and um, he started come, hang, hang, hanging around with us. And so Sabak was hanging, you know, with, with, uh, with me and Search. Sabak had um, a crew called Brooklyn with another MC named Jigsaw. Okay. I produced like a demo or two for them too. And um, what ended up happening was Search's music career was like put on hold because he was having problems with Def Jam. He was, he was, it was at a time where, you know, this, his solo career started after third base. Right. Third base didn't break up nicely. So 
Yeah, I didn't think so. I don't know the story about it, but yeah. yeah. So there was a video that P. Nice and Rich put out where they portrayed Search in a bad light. Search was mad about it. More so, Search was mad at the label because the label was playing them against each other. Right. And Search yeah. was right. He's like, yo, like, why are you letting, you know, because Search didn't say anything bad about Pete or Rich right. when, when, you know, when the breakup happened. He just made an album. Their first single, like, kind of threw him under the bus. Yeah. And so, you know, he was looking at, like, I expect that from Pete, but why are you, the parent company, allowing this to happen right. underneath your, you know, umbrella? Under, so, yeah, you know, umbrella. so it really pissed him off. All right, so, well, he had, a, he had a right to be pissed off, sure. absolutely. And so he, he was like, yo, he's like, fuck, fuck Def Jam. He's like, I'm done. Um, and so he kind of stepped back for a while. And when that happened, um, he was also doing, making business moves, you know. So while he was recording, when he was doing the song for Back to the Grill, which T-Ray produced, um, T-Ray had... Had either mentioned him or brought Nas through, because Nas was you know just still this new kid that was like you know he was on um, Main Sources uh, Live at the Barbecue. But other yeah. than that, he did, he did nothing. So T. Right. Ray kind of brought him through to the session. He got on the track. Search loved him. Was like, yo, you're incredible. So Search ended up representing him. Like, let me let me find you a deal. And there was interest coming from smaller labels, but there were smaller labels. And Search is like, nah, I can get you something bigger and better, for sure. Let me let me try to do something. He wound up doing that. He, did. he got assigned to, to Columbia Sony. Yeah. And so, even though Search was still doing music, he was already doing business stuff. Like, that was becoming more and more his thing. So once he decided he was going to chill with the music for a minute, he, uh, he ended up taking a job as, like, VP of Wild Pitch Records. Once he did that, he tried to take care of the rest of his crew. So he, he, he was like, oh, he's like, you know, you should try to get a job up here. He's like, I, I've been bigging you up to Stu, the owner. And so um, my background was retail. I worked at a record store downstairs, so I knew retail. So I met with Stu a couple times, interviewed, and he, you know, he liked me enough to, to give me a chance. And so I, I ended up taking a retail position at Wild Pitch. Okay. So me and Surf transitioned from MC DJ to, to national director of retail and senior VP of label. Okay. Um, <laughs> did that. Search brought in Sabak to do college radio promotions at Wild Pitch. Okay. So the three of us are now at the label. Huh. So now, Sabak is running around New York City passing out OC flyers and stickers. He goes into either fat, fat jeans fat or... Fat beats? Fat jeans. Fat jeans. Fat jeans. Go from the fat jeans where Ill Bill worked. Right. And um, gave him, you know, the OC tape, whatever. They started making conversation. Yeah, Bill touched on that on his mm-hmm. episode. Bill He's Ryan like, yo, who's this little dude yeah. ice girl? He's like, mm-hmm. I wanted to punch his mm-hmm. head off, he says. Everyone yeah. wanted to be the man. Of course. Yeah, well, he explains that br- brilliantly in the mm-hmm. episode, mm-hmm. yeah. So, uh... Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. So, so Bach comes back to the Wild Pitch office like, yo, I met this kid. He's nice. Ill Bill. I was actually familiar with him as an MC because he had a record out 
the Dolphin record. The Dolphin record, a Southpaw. Yeah. So I, I, and uh, we used to play that. You know, what I'm saying. So I, I, I didn't know him as a person, but I knew him as as that's the ill build the record. You know, so right. he ended up bringing him to the office, and you know, me search. Sabak and Bill were just, you know, it's a room. They were, they were rhyming, freestyling, you know, just getting to know each other. And everyone liked each other, and then it clicked. And so, you know, the, the idea came around, let's do a group, you know. And so uh, the name came about, I think it was Bill that suggested it, and um, Nonfiction was born right there at Wild Pitch. Um, and then Bill suggested, he's like, hey, I have... Uh, another guy that I work with that's really dope, Gore-Tex. Right. And so Gore-Tex was like the last to come into the group. Um, but that was the, the birth of nonfiction. And, huh. and it started at Wild Pitch Records. And you you guys did demos mm-hmm. before you put out Shot, I Shot Reagan. I was way after. Yeah, I Shot Reagan was way after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was like, well, that was like the first major release? Mm-mm. No. We never had a major release. Everything's well, been independent. Well, I, I don't mean I don't mean like on a major label. I mean like well, besides demos. Yeah, I mean I shot Reagan. The first two releases were were the first twelve inch was Legacy and No Tomorrow. Okay, that was our first twelve inch we put out through, with, with Fappies. Then the next one was. Um, Four W's and five boroughs. Gotcha. And then after that was the I Shot Reagan. I Shot Reagan. I Shot Reagan was the one we spent money on. Right. Like that. I mean, we spent money on the first two in certain ways. You know, we we, we uh, went to, to Gavin, and uh, I guess it was in Atlanta at the time. We went to Gavin, and um, we, you know, we, we met up with DJs and gave up the records. We, we worked it. But when I Shot Reagan, by that time, we were already three songs deep, so our presence was a little bit more known. And we just we spent money on tons of stickers. We hired street teams to go light, you know, light up the city. So it was like it was a bigger presence right. by the time I Shot Reagan came out. Maybe that's why that's what I'm that's why I'm mm-hmm. thinking that. Mm-hmm. Um, you still so, have all those originals, of course. You do. Yeah, of course. Tax prices and shit. Mm-hmm. How about you? You, you have a, a, a ridiculous vinyl collection, no? I do. It's every room of the house except the bathroom. Yeah, but it's in the kitchen, it's in the living room, bedrooms. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. How many off? The, how many you think you have? Even though it's a stupid, lame under, question. Under thirty thousand. About thirty thousand records in your house. No wonder why you're here for twenty something years. Who the fuck wants Honestly, to move all that shit? When I moved there, Bill and Gortex and Bach helped me move. We had to do a U-Haul twice. Just for records. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that That's was insane. You know, 23 years ago. Ah, oh, so God only knows how now, many you mm-hmm. bought since. You ain't going yeah, nowhere. That's exactly why I'm not moving. <laughs> yeah, I figured that. That's a pain in the ass, man. We don't do that shit. Yeah. Nuts. So, yeah, so that was the birth of that. And then, you know, everything kind of like uh, moves and shakes different ways, you know, from nonfiction. Um, you know, Search ended up. Uh, he was a part of the original cast in our fiction, but then like the guys, the guys would hang together more than he would. You know, he was he was older than us. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, he had he already had a wife and kids. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, yeah. So people's mind frames are different. You know, he wasn't trying to hang out every night and go to the studio every night yeah. like where these guys were. And so you know, with these guys, it was more of like. You know, they were always around together, and they were kind of like looking at him, like, "Yo, why aren't you here? Why aren't you here? Why aren't you here?" 
And so I think it, it, it became like that and like other things just kind of built up to a point where it's like, look, you know, either you kind of got to dedicate your time to the group or not. And so Man. it was like, you know, it, for him it worked out that he, it was, he was better off doing more business stuff. So nonfiction became the rest, you know, the other three MCs and me. And so we did that. And then... At what point did you guys start touring after the future is now dropped? Yeah, I mean, we, we did um, we did shows before that, but um, actually, first time we went to Europe was in '98, and that was before, that was way before that was four years before the album came out. Yeah, Gore hit me up and wanted me to ask you if you remember the time that Gore accidentally took somebody's bag at the airport because it was an identical bag, and he opened it up and there was like cowboy jeans in there and two huge industrial cans of tuna fish. Yeah, peanut butter. Peanut butter? <laughs> what the fuck? Gore. <laughs> Gore will be your best interview ever. I, bro, I've been trying to do it forever, but he's he's like three hours on top of the mile. It's like, bro, why do you live all the way out yeah. there? I yeah. would do it with him now, like tomorrow, but it's, it's it's crazy. I need like a whole day to do it. He has the worst luck in history. <laughs> that was one. Yeah, we went. We go there for it. Because it was like a a Dracar bag. A Dracar bag. Yeah, exactly. Dr- it was like one of those prom- promo bags you get when you buy like the cologne. And uh, you know, he's like, he's not looking to see like if his name's on it. He's like, who else is gonna have that kind of bag? Yeah, you know? exactly. Picks it up, gets back to the hotel. He's like, yo, what the hell is? He's like, yeah, it was like size forty-eight <laughs> cowboy pants, and like t- he said, two industrial cans of tuna fish, but peanut butter is even better. <laughs> yeah, well, another time we were, um, we were we were boarding the plane, and we're it was one of the planes that you had to walk outside to, to get onto the plane. Uh-huh. So we're all, all four of us are walking up, and we're looking, and there's a garbage bag all taped up, like right smack dab. Like on the on the runway, like next to the plane, and as we're getting closer, Gorgeous says something like, "Why do I feel like that's my luggage?" For so you know, it's like, <laughs> and sure enough, like as we get closer, it's like it's, it's like taped but ripped open. It was like it was his stuff inside of it. He's like, "What the fuck is this?" He's like, "Whatever bag." Because I think his bag was like dying. Yeah. And so it must have like exploded. Exploded at some point. And so they had nothing to put it in but a garbage bag. And so it's like his stuff was like laying out. And yo, it was like that, that's everywhere we went. He had a story like that. No shit. A story like that. Um, yeah, I'll definitely link up with him eventually. I have to. But most of the touring we did from like '98 to 2002 was was pr- primarily more spot dates. Okay. Um, the heavier touring came when the album came out. I think we went on like a two-month tour with Beat Nuts when the album came out. Okay. And then, I mean, you know, that, that's that's great. Seeing the world, you know, we're never going to see it any other way. Right. You know, so for us, it was like... Might as well fucking do it. Yeah, we're yeah, still man. doing it. We're still doing it. That's what, that's what we, you know, our livelihood is based on. Music out in Tory. Yeah. So you living in Brooklyn at the time? You you moved to Brooklyn. or You were in the city. Oh yeah. Oh, even back then, I, I thought maybe maybe like once you came up, you were. Well, well what happened was in '92, I was staying with Search. Got you. And then probably about a year later, I moved out, but stayed in the same neighborhood. He was living in Cedarhurst, Long Island. Five towns. Okay. 
like a spot two blocks down from his house. Gotcha. I lived there from maybe like ninety three to like ninety six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I stayed there for like three years. And then from there moved to here, Rio yeah. Park. Yeah, so I've been here since then. Nice. Um and then I was you know, when I was here I have to go meet those guys in the studio, and that was always a pain in the ass for me because the studio was 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 you know over there, Canarsie, uh, and I'd have to take like four trains from here. Yeah, to it's get a pain. Yeah, Queens is a pain in the ass mm-hmm. when it comes to. Mm-hmm. You know, I lived in Howard Beach for a while, which is obviously it's mm-hmm. down Woodhaven Boulevard, mm-hmm. but pain in the ass. You got a train, and then what? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You have to transfer four trains, or if you have time, you go all the way into the city to come back into Brooklyn. Ridiculous. Right. When I, when I was still in Cedarhurst, when I was working at Wild Pitch at the time, I was that was when I, I used to have to be on a schedule for the, the railroad. Okay. Because that was the only way to get home. And if I missed that one o'clock railroad train in the morning, next one was three thirty. Oh my god! And I'd be like, fuck. So what I ended up having to do is I take the A all the way to Far Rockaway, yeah, and just take a freaking cab from there to like to Cedarhurst. Right. I didn't do that that often, but I was just like, I hated doing that. Hey, sitting there for fucking hours in the mm-hmm. winter time or whatever. Mm-hmm. Fuck that, man. Yeah, I remember those days, though. It was just mass transit, just training everywhere. Fucked up. Yep. So, non-fiction, you know, it had its run. Yeah. Wild Peace closed. Fat Peace open. I started working there. Um, and through working at Fappy's A lot of people worked in there, huh? Uh-huh, yeah, totally um, But while I was working there That's really where we got the bug of Putting out music independently Because really, prior to that Everyone had their dreams of being signed to a major label Right And so once, you know, Fappy's kind of came along Came along People saw that, like, you know, like, like hey, let's just put it out ourselves. And yeah. We'll distribute it and blah, blah, blah. And so that was really the kind of, like, the birth of the indie scene was between what Fat Beats was doing and what Stretch and Bobbito were playing on the on their radio show. Those two entities combined is really what kind of propelled the independent New York hip-hop scene. And so yeah. groups like Nonfiction and Arsonist... Natural Elements and Juggernauts and Company Flow. Yeah. You know, these were all groups that kind of came from the scene. I'll take some more water, please. Yeah, yeah. I will too. Thank you. You're welcome. These were all groups that came from the scene and, um, you know, going on to do great things. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, you look at like someone like LP from Company Flows, you know, now it Run the Jewels, which has got to be like one of the biggest, you know, acts yeah. hip-hop-wise for like... I don't even know what, how to categorize them. You know what I'm yeah. saying? They're not. Yeah. It's like, but he comes from us. You know what I'm saying? He comes right. from our scene. So like, I'm proud of him. You know what I'm saying? I'm, 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 it makes me happy to see like people from our unit kind of like do that well. Doing that shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. So I asked, I asked Bill because Bill brought up Shush and Bobito. What did you think about the documentary overall? Well, I liked it. I loved it. I loved it too. I thought it, it could be longer. You know, That's I mean, what Bill said. He's like, another 10, 15 minutes. Well, here's the thing. Because some people were left out. Who do you think was left out that needed a little shine well, on that? It's not so much about who was left out. Thank you. You're welcome, guys. It's more about what was left out. and Such as? The independent scene. You know? Yeah. Because here's the thing. 
Stretch and Bob, um, their show was monumental for the whole 90s in New York. You sure. Know, it's like what they, what they spotlighted in their movie was great. You know, uh, Nas and Jay-Z and, you know, Busta. Hands down, those were all great artists and, and made a huge impact. But that's not their whole legacy for Stretch and Bobby, though. You know, they also helped birth the independent scene, which is a whole nother beast. You know what I'm saying? It's like there's a whole sure. there's a whole community now that thrives from what they started and Fat Beast started. So I guess I went into it thinking I'm going to see something about the independent scene. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. Bobito had Fondlem Records, Stretch had Dolo Records. They had independent labels that they were running themselves. Yeah. So... I expected to see that, you yeah. know what I'm saying? It's like, and they didn't, they didn't, you know, they did a, a quick thing near the end where they mentioned how music was was changing and styles were changing, um, and they they show like Mr. Complex for like a few seconds, and that's kind of like their acknowledgement of like where music was going. But like, it's so much bigger than that. Sure. And I asked him about that when I had him up on my show. Um, to promote the documentary and I was like and the first thing I said to him was like yo how come you know no representation on the indie scene and you know long story short they were like well it's too long you know they were like what we put on there is already like an hour and a half and we left off so much stuff that we already couldn't get on he's like so to, to keep going into a whole another world we made like a two hour documentary he's like and for them they felt it was too much too long you know, so hey, go an hour and forty-eight minutes. It'll still be the same amount of people watching it. You know what right. I mean? So I mean, so I think for those of us that kind of came from the indie scene, you know, we we felt a little. I didn't feel slighted like they let they left me out. Right. I felt slighted in terms of you guys. This is part of your baby. Like, how come you didn't? You know, Bill said the same sentiment. He was like, "I don't care about me personally." Right. It's like some of the homies were left out. Right. Like, right. and you know, so I get it. You know, but it's still a great documentary. You know, mm-hmm. like it just leaves you wanting more. Absolutely. Maybe they will be. Mm-hmm. Why not? Probably not. Well, well, we'll save that for the Fat Beast documentary. Oh, there you go. Did you just let the cat out of the bag a little bit? No, nah, it's been in the works for a while. Yeah, you're involved. Yeah, that's dope. Yeah. So, nice. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where. When it's happening, you don't really realize what's happening. But yeah. When you look back at it like decades later, you're like wow, like you know that was a, that that's a scene. We helped create a scene. You know yeah. What I'm saying? Without a doubt. Huh. And so. So nonfiction falls apart. Nonfiction falls apart. Um, me, me and Bill talk and decide that, you know, he's gonna do solo stuff. I'm a DJ for him. Um, Sabak moved out west around the same time, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So. We start doing that, but then at the same time, you know, like stuff happens, and you know, Bill gets hit up from Danny Boy, and and, and you know, he's he's working on this group called the Copa Nostra, and he loves for you know, he wants like new blood, and he wants uh, Bill to get down. So Bill gets in on the project, and like at that time, it's like it was supposed to be like everybody. It was like it was actually like you know, all of nonfiction was welcome into it, and. It was a bunch of other MCs that were in the just in a the fucking it was giant just a conglomerate room. of like it was it was almost like a mixtape thing where Danny Boy's like I just want all this new talent in 
and as they were recording songs and recording songs, you kind of like start seeing who's more serious about the craft, who's sure. better at the craft, and other sure. people. So you start weeding out kind of like certain elements, and then you can kind of get down to the core of who it's, who it's going to be. And then, uh, yeah, Lakoka was born, you know, and, and um, Danny was behind it with all the graphics and the designs for the logos and all that stuff. And, you know, that really started spearheading the campaign even before the music was just the sight of that logo with the skull and the guns. Yeah, it's, like, it's so simple, but it's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And then music came right after that. And once music started being put up on MySpace... MySpace. People started hearing it. And you started seeing MySpace people <clears throat> with their name putting an LCN after their name. Just everyone started doing their name. So Joe, LCN. You know, yeah. Kevin, LCN. You know, it, was like, it became his thing. People started buying into it. And so that was the next thing for us was La Coconostra. And so, you know, we just uh, focused on that for a while. Yeah. You guys are going back out to Europe in August or some shit, right? Yes, we are. Mm -hmm. It's fucking beautiful. Yeah. Yep. You know, so over the years, there's been so much music and so many different entities, you know, like, you know, Vinnie Paz has um, Jedi Mind Tricks, and, you know, they had gotten Bill on one of their, a couple of their early records, you yeah. know what I'm saying? So that connection was made, that, that seed was planted then. Years later, Heavy Metal Kings. Kings was born, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, we have so many different brands now. You know, we have Nonfiction, we have Heavy Metal Kings, La Coconostra, Ill Bill. There's all these different things that we just kind of like say, okay, well, what are we going to do now? We'll do this now, and the next we'll do that. And then so it just keeps us busy and... and it, it keeps, keeps it fresh, fresh too. Yeah, exactly. it keeps it fresh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, that's fucking dope. Mm -hmm. Shit. So now, how how do you get linked up? And how how does the whole because you host your own show on Sirius Satellite Radio? Mm -hmm. Was it it's Channel Forty Five, right? Mm -hmm. Shade yep. Forty Five, Eminem Station. Eminem Station. And oh. and it's called Rap is Out of Control. Sunday nights. Sunday nights, ten to twelve. Okay. So now, I mean, going back to Stretch and Bob. Me meeting them, um, you know, I became cool with Stretch on some, you know, like DJs always have this thing, we kind of like, we all kind of hang together. It's like, sure. it's, you, you, you automatically gravitate to the DJ. So, yeah. you know, me and Stretch and Riz, we were all cool. I didn't really know Bob that well. And, um, and it, it just so happened as Stretch and Bob's show was growing, so was, you know, Stretch's DJ career. And so a lot of times he'd, he'd be booked for gigs on Thursday nights, which is when the show was on. So he's like, I can't make the show. He's like, will you fill in for me? No problem. Yeah. So I started filling in for him on nights he couldn't make it. And so that helped me get my name out Fuck yeah. in New York. And so sure. I, started, I started doing stuff on his show. And then, coincidentally... Became cooler with Bobito because we'd be together. You yeah. know, Stretch wouldn't be there, so me and Bob would be doing the show together all the time. Yeah. And so we became real cool. Um, and then from that, uh, that led to Riz was always doing radio. Riz was doing, back in the day, he was doing Jeff Foss in Long Island, like 90, 89, 90. Then I think like shortly after that, 91, 92, he's, 91 I think it was, he started doing BAU with Wild Man Steve. 
and then that show ran up until 95 and then when it ended he started doing New York Live on NYU with Mayhem and so he did that for a few years and then they ended up getting kicked off station for like cursing and drinking up there and stuff like that <laughs> so he was like this was the first time for him that he hadn't had a home for radio so he kind of stepped to me and was like yo he's like you know what about me and you stepping to NYU and seeing if we can get a show so I was like alright cool you know so me and him stepped to um, the, the girl that was doing a hip hop show at the time and we kicked her the idea and at first she was a little hesitant about it and then finally she kind of agreed and said okay like let's do it together and so all three of us kind of joined forces and we started the halftime show on NYU mm-hmm. March of 98 okay we did that um, a couple years in I forget exactly how long might have been two maybe three years that uh, Lynn the, the girl we started with graduated and so she left the show um, when I recently heard I was I was I don't know some somehow I got it on iTunes or whatever and I saw you did it came up because I think I searched DJ Clips and it came up that I think it was on the halftime show there was a snippet on iTunes that you did a little thing with J.A. and Scuff or some shit like that some craziness I had J.A. Uh, Scuff and um well, someone else was up. I brought up at the same time. Yeah, I'm gonna have scuffed. horrible night. It was it. Oh my god! <laughs> I wish I can get in touch with Ja and have him on. I really do. I really do. I, I'm gonna have Scuff and OJ on eventually, though. It was a great show. The bad part was inviting graph writers up to a school building. Oh yeah, no, nah, you, you don't do that. Let me tell you something. Uh, These dudes, they didn't come with markers. Cans. They came with cans. <laughs> That's just a and went over. The, the, we were on the 11th floor and there was nothing but outside of the outside of the studio was nothing but lockers yo these dudes went over all the lockers the bad thing was though was that oh my God. the studio was already bombed right. so inside it was already like grimy and even there might have been some, some tags out in the hallways there might have been some but they just took the spray paint and just went all and over they were the fillings and shit yeah <laughs> unbelievable but yeah, I, mean, I, I did. Well, Riz left the show in like 2001. <laughs> I kept doing it by myself, and then over the years we, we brought in other new new people. Yeah, my man Skiz, Petey Cologne, Mars, Levani. We always had new people on board, but so I kept doing the show up until like a few years ago. So I mean, I, I did a um, 18 year run oh, on shit. NYU. And so in that 18 years, you know, I've had a lot of people come through those doors. You know, so. Um, and, uh, Is there anybody that you haven't worked with that you would love to work with? I know that's a hacky question, but it's something um, I just thought of. I mean, I'm, yeah, there definitely is, but, you know, I'm such a weird dude that, like, for me, <laughs> it's always the obscure guys that I get a kick out of. All right. So I don't know with that. I didn't expect you to say Kanye West anyway. No, no, no. But like you know, I mean, there's people I haven't I haven't had in my show. Like I haven't had Rockham on. I, I, you know, I'd, I'd love to have him on, but he wouldn't be like my. I wouldn't be like, oh shit, I got Rockham. Right. I'll be more. You know, I don't know. I can't now. I'm drawing a blank. Like, I I I, I was introduced to uh, this dude named Silver Fox from a group called Fantasy Three. Okay. Met him at a party one night. Someone was like, "Yo, it's a Silver Fox." I was like, "Holy shit, Silver Fox and the Fantasy Three. That man, you know what I'm saying? Uh, that, yeah, it's I, like it's always this weird, obscure. Okay, you know, they were like, you know, like the '80s group that like had a big record in New York, and 
those those to me were like I don't know those were like you know like how Michael Jackson was like uh, you know a king to all of us like all these early groups in hip hop were were kings to me because they influenced me right in growing up I, so, I completely understand that I don't yeah. think you're weird for saying that no but I'm saying but like most people would, would you know would want the biggest names you know like I want the I, uh, I, I, you know I mean I've had I've had Eminem I've had Kanye I've, I have I've had these guys 50 yeah. Cent I've had all these guys you know and it's, and it's great but like it's, they weren't my childhood you right. know what I'm saying it's like sure. so I want the ones that like I came up listening to that like influenced me I got so, you when I had Millie Mel on, that was awesome. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. you know, when I had Grandmaster Kaz on, I had like I want, I want the dudes that I respect that help mold the culture. Sure. Everyone that came after them is, it's just a player, right? You know what I'm saying? These are the guys that like set it up, yeah. And so those are the ones that I always get the most geeked out. You know, geeked about is doing yeah. Yeah. those dudes. It makes complete sense to Gra- me. Grand Mix of DXT. I mean, you know, that was a great Grand Mix of Theodore. Like all those dudes were like great. Interviews and so like I always get hype when I can do something like that. Yeah, um, I remember I was a I was a guest DJ and 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 I was also interviewed on um, my man um, Tito from the Fearless Four. He was doing a radio show with Grandma- <coughs> Grandmaster Kaz <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> he had a couple other guests that night on the show and um, <clears throat> he's talking to the dude. Dude's name was um, the Microphone Prince. I wasn't familiar with him. You know, he's talking to him and the, the, you know, they're talking, telling stories, whatever. And I'm just listening, and listening. And he's like, "All right, you know, we're gonna play your record now." He throws the record on. I'm listening to the record, like I know this, I know this, I know this record. <laughs> and then, like the more I got into it, I was like, "Holy shit!" I was like, "This is your record?" Wow. And the guy's like, "Yeah." I was like, do you know how long I've been looking for this record? Like, I never Shit. knew who it was. Really? He looks at me and goes, bro, the story of my life. He's like, oh, my God. I was God. like, yo, I, was like, I love this record. Yeah. But it's like moments like that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, sure? that's the shit. Like, he made my freaking year. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Like, that's just, dope. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I've always, I've always gone for the underdogs, you know? Yeah, I hear that. Um, I completely get that, bro. But doing, you know, doing NYU... That um, allowed me to, to enter other doors, such as you know, kind of going full circle to how we started this conversation. DJ Premier, um, who I became cool with from the Goat, you think? Yes, the most definitely. He's my favorite all-time producer. Yep. Uh, but uh, you know, he used to shop at Fat Beats all the time, and so I think through always just kind of seeing him at Fat Beats, we kind of you know got cool with each other, and then he he obviously also knew. What I've been doing with nonfiction and also, you know, radio stuff at NYU, so it became a similar situation where when he had to leave for his radio show on Sirius, he asked me if I could fill in for him, and he's like, you know, I don't, I don't know anyone else I can ask that knows the music, you know, because he's like me, he plays like underground independent stuff, he like, you know, he likes like the dope, you know, just raw stuff. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, of course. So I started filling in for him on his live from headquarters show. And um, through doing that, I started meeting some of the people that worked at Sirius and come to find out that one of the people that worked there that was, um, uh, had worked his way up from like the mail room to like, you know, a uh, producer up there. Yeah. He, he managed an artist that 
was a fan of my show that would listen it was a listener he would listen to my show every single week he'd call in yeah so he's like yeah my, my artist not so um, you know listens, we, we, we listen to your show every single week and he's like you know if, if you ever want to do something up here let me know yeah. and so I said alright cool and you know and, uh, and so that it kind of birthed the, the thing the show it's yeah. like you know, I, I sent him mixes for, for a while just kind of um, he, he let me do guest spots on, on other shows he had and then it came to it came to the point where he had enough power and position where he was like alright he's like I'm gonna get you your own show and it was funny because he told me this I'm like great but it wasn't like I'm gonna get you your own show when it starts next week it was I'm gonna get you your own show I just have to find out when it's gonna happen sure so like time went by and like you know I'm like alright alright you know and so then Lo and behold, Lakoka ends up going on tour. It, that week, he said, "Okay, you're ready to go." Oh, oh my God. horse! So bastards. So then, um, I ended up uh, having to pre-record the show every single week from the road. So oh, what the fuck, really? Yeah. So what I would do is that's crazy. One night a week, <laughs> I would. Uh, we were traveling with with my own equipment, you know, for the DJ setup. So I had, sure. I had my turntables mixed with me. I have to take them out of the um, the the van or whatever, the trailer, and I'd bring them into the hotel room and I'd find whatever convenient spot there was to set up. Usually, it would be like the bathroom sink or something like that. I'd throw the turntables up there, the mixer in the middle, and I'd <laughs> sit there and I'd, I'd knock out a two-hour mix, and Fuck. then the next morning. Um, I would go back through it, listen to it, make sure everything was was fine. You know, make sure if, if I had to fix any editing, I'd, I'd do that. Um, and the next morning, every morning we we drive to another destination. So the mix would be done. I'd be fine tuning any editing um, in the passenger side while someone else was driving. And then as soon as it was done, I'd have to tell the driver, okay, pull over to the next hotel you see off the exit from off the highway. And we'd pull over, we'd pull up into the, the lobby, the, to, to the driveway, I'd get out, get to go into the lobby of my computer, get on their Wi-Fi, and sit there and hope they had good Wi-Fi. Yeah. And I'd sit there for as long as it took for me to upload the file back to New York. And sometimes uh, it would take like a half hour to, uh, you know, on shitty internet. Shit. And so I'd have to sit there and wait. And all these guys would fucking sit in the van just waiting for me to get this <laughs> fucking mad set. at you. Yeah. <laughs> i do that once a week. It was a fucking pain in the ass. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, but you did, you did your for thing. two months. For the first two months. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so everything's, you know, I mean, and so I've been doing that show now for, um, it's been over 10 years. It's been like 10, 11 years that I've been Damn. doing uh, Rap Without Control. And then even before that, was filming for Preem for at least another year or two prior to that. So I've been in that building for a while now. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's the show's going through changes, um, personnel changes. I mean, Riz has only been on the show with me now for a couple of years. You know, he kind of got the itch to, to want to get back on radio. They don't hold you back at all, though, do they? Nothing Not at all. Not at all, right? At all. That's that's the beautiful no, thing. They, they give us the outlet. And, you know, we have, we have whatever their rules and regulations are to follow in terms of structure. You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's a mix show. They don't want us talking too long. Uh, you know, it's a... Uh, other than that, though, they don't tell us what to play. It's all—it's totally 100% what we want to do. Right. All the guests I book is who I want to book. And that's it. And yeah. So you know, and everything's been running smooth. You know, we just—we've—we—we um, we've, we used to be on Hip Hop Nation. They moved us over to Shade 45, and so you know, it's a better home, better fit. 
beautiful thing, man. It's not still going on now. What do you got going on in the future? Do you have anything planned as far as, I mean, besides like the, co- I mean, I know Coconut Oyster's doing uh, a couple of dates in August. Yeah, well, I mean, well. That, I mean, that's down the line. I mean, well. Sure. Well, I mean, I have, I, I you know, uh, I don't even remember how long ago. It's probably been about damn near 10 years now. I started a, um, a management company. Pay to win management. Pay to win. And so, um, you know, I manage basically all the groups I work with. You know, so I manage Lacoca, I manage Bill, I co-manage Heavy Metal Kings with Jan, who manages Vinny. Yeah. Um, and then I manage other artists as well. I manage uh, Q Unique, he's with the Arsonist. Shout out to Q. Yep. Q's been on. Q's yep. been on his own, and he's been on... I think you actually emailed me a drop. I did, sure. For, that was when... Wasn't Howie and Bill supposed to do it? Yeah, but I think I used I used it for the King's Bounty Q Unique Mike T-shirt Mike gotcha. John episode. Okay, that was yeah, that was originally when I was supposed to have Bill. Okay, but I used it for Q Unique. All right, yeah. So Q, um, I manage uh, this new guy Rashi Chappell. I manage um, this group from the Bronx, the Legion. Um, I manage Bahamadia from Philly. So I. You know, have my hands full with not just what I do with Bill, but with all these acts. So I'm always, you know, helping someone get something together. I mean, Rashid's album, uh, First Brick, just dropped several months ago. So, you know, we've been still kind of working that. Still got some videos from that. The Legion just dropped a new album, Three the Bronx Way, a couple months ago. So we're still working that. And obviously, Bill and Stu Bang is Cannibal Hulk. So I'm always working something with the artists, and I'm also touring with them. You know, yeah. So I just got back from, from Brazil with Bahamadia like two weeks ago. No shit. Um, so, uh, How was Brazil? It was good. It was dope. Yeah. So, you know, so I'm, I, my hands is, is very much embedded in music, and so I just find ways to, to live off of it. You yeah. Know? So that's basically what it is. That's dope, man. Mm-hmm. See, with all that busy-ass time, and you took so far an hour and 12 minutes to sit and bullshit with me and eat a burger. <laughs> I appreciate it, bro. Yeah, for sure. That's dope. Where can they find you on all the social... What is it? It's DJ Premiere on Instagram. If I was Premiere, that would be it. I mean, it's DJ Eclipse. <laughs> what the hell? Why did, I, why did that come out? That's not it's, a bad uh, comparison, though. It's DJ Eclipse. Yes. Wow. Yes, yeah. I if know. I was Premiere, I didn't even realize I said yeah. that. It's, it's what the, a jackass. It's DJ Eclipse. Is, um, <laughs> is Twitter... DJ Clips RSC for Rocksteady Crew is Instagram. Um, that's that's really the only one just people need to go to. Yeah, know? that's it. Don't deal with the Facebook nonsense. Yeah, thing. I mean, Facebook, I keep Facebook more. It's, it's public, but I mean, I, I treat it more personal. It's like, I don't like post as much on there as I, I use like Instagram and Twitter more for like getting the news out. I use Facebook more for friends and family and, you know, yeah. post pictures of the kids type stuff. Right. Um, but other than that, you know, it's like, yeah, you catch me Sunday nights on Shade 45, Rappers Out Control, 10 to 12. Um, and that's, uh, that's it. Other than that, you'll see me, you know. Is there a way that maybe we can end this with a song? Like Want me maybe to sing? <laughs> that will that I'll slap on the end of it. Oh my god, we'll slap on the end of the file. Yeah, what can we end it with? I don't um, know. Whatever, whatever we're allowed to. Something that you know that we could use. Um, that you give me permission to to grab and use. All right, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm, you play the intro to my radio show. 
You email me that I'm waiting, Yes, I am. All right. I email it to you. It's called Rap is Out of Control. The, the, the song. The song. The song. Yeah, it's produced by Marco Polo. Okay. It uh, features my favorite MC, Cool G Rap. Okay. And also another one of my favorites, AG. Um, and I did the, I did the cuts on the chorus. There so you go. That, that's something that'll make sense to, to wrap up this whole thing. Sounds like a plan. All so right. we're going to end on the, the intro to Rap is Out of Control. Yes. Once again, thanks, right. brother. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Yeah. We're over here now. The DJ Eclipse show. I'm here telecasting from the strip though when he pitchos. Live in the past where it's piss poke. Project Chloe Dark filled up with piss smoke and kids blow. With the piss show, the fifth flow. Slip no the fifth flow on zip codes. A shitload of brick sales. Fuck this scale. Wait like the Moby Dick where funny do money rule. This with a Swiss tail. Foul niggas line you up like it's fire drills. Black hurts a song at church that the choir kill. Young bucks will blaze your gut till you die and spill. Credit the territory, don't be the lion. Mill. Keep your waistline aligned with the iron fill Don't let GNC supply you with the iron pills The sound that kills, the saver private Ryan fills G-Rap, DJ, and Cliff, let the giants fill For real I, 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 I do this for my culture To let them know I do this for my culture To let them know Do I have to tell you that you're whack time and time again? I do this for my culture To let them know Rap is out of control, can't get me out of my zone You a clone, my style is my own Hip-hop, till I drip drop the coffin If not, that wasn't me you were recording Eclipse, put me in the mix It wasn't cause my whip or my wrist Cause I'm sick with the spit And this, you should know Catch us at halftime Last time we put on a show Iconic, mean bionic, I'm on it but I still keep a peace like Muhammad Arenas and coliseums Started in the basement So underrated is an understatement Underpaid or underage They all could feel the music we made The rest just fade I played at Rocksteady Got money with fat beats I was at Hip Hop Nation last week I'm serious Took a peek at La Coca Nostra Feeling them Uncle Howie's keep it spinning I'm winning If I ain't mentioned I'm offended Y'all pretending Hey, it's the ending